Let's have a seat for just a moment, but uh, we're going to continue in our spirit of prayer and worship. Uh, This is a point in the service where we want to come to confession. We're going to read a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which leads us in confessing our sins. And there's a line in the prayer that says, We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done. Now, at that moment, we'll stop and we'll have a moment of silence so that we can all personalize that. We can go before God with the things we have done and the deeds we have done, maybe just in the last day or so or the last week. We knew we shouldn't have, but we did. And so we'll bring that confession before God. Then we'll continue with the rest of the prayer. And then I want to say a few words about why we do confession. So let's begin in prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done. Let's go before God in silence. And by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. There's some confusion as to why Christians confess. Confessing our sins is not a time to get down and wallow in, you know. Now, you remember how terrible you are. And it's not about that. It's about bringing something true about ourselves up in front of God that we thought would cause us to be rejected and finding in that moment He still loves us. He still accepts us. This also happens when we confess to another person something we've done. We hide it for so long because we think they're going to hate us, right? And then the truth comes before us and we find that they still love us. There's something about the power of being accepted when the truth comes out. It sets our soul truly free. gives us the most hope we ever had, if we ever had any, of not doing that again. It was when everyone knows and when God knows to know that he loves us anyway. He has searched us, and he knows us. He knew us before we did this thing. He knew us during and after. He still loves us. That's why we bring these things up in confession. Amen. Let's have a seat and bring forth the babies. (laughs) All right. Uh, Time for baptism. Time for baptism. So let me uh, talk a little bit about what we're doing here. Protestant Church has two sacraments, the Lord's Table and Baptism, so we're about to practice baptism today. Uh, Baptism is the sign and seal of God's ownership on us, kind of like if we were wax and God took his ring and pressed it into us and said, this one now belongs to me. Baptism's like that. Baptism is a washing and a cleansing from sin 
It takes us back to what Christ did on the cross, including the being buried and raised again. Now, not every tradition will baptize babies, so I want to explain the differences. Um, All Christian church, one of my favorite things about baptism is it's about the only thing that all Christian churches agree to do. So all Christian churches, we may argue about a lot, but we all agree, let's be baptized. Thank goodness. Um, So baptism, uh, we all believe that the sign and seal of God's ownership This promise that Christ has given us must be placed upon us. And all Christian churches believe we must respond to that. And we must claim that faith for our own. So in some church traditions, you would would never baptize uh, kids this early. You would wait and do both at the same time. Place the sign and seal and the promise of what God has done upon them. And then hear their affirmation of them claiming the faith for themselves all at one time. Uh, All we're doing here is separating it uh, by time. Here at the beginning of these families' journeys, we proclaim that Christ has come for them. He has given himself for them. His Holy Spirit will guide them toward faith. These children will, later in their life, have to make a profession of claiming that promise for themselves. And we hope each and every one of them will do that uh, with the guidance of their parents, the help of the church, and of course, above all, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we will have a confirmation celebration uh, when they're older. So... We're all going to get around to doing all the same things. It's just a matter of when. So that's, I hope that helps explain uh, our tradition and uh, how we do that here and how it is the same and perhaps different than what you may experience in other congregations. But we all believe in the power of Christ uh, that this baptism represents. So um, some of these folks, now these folks begin a journey now. They have... Uh, visits from our church staff to help talk about raising children. We have milestones all along the way um, to help guide these families in faith and help them receive the good news of Christ Jesus. Some of these folks have selected godparents to help them. I'm realizing this year, as I have a middle schooler, the value of that. Um, I was really smart to my children last year, and this year they just seem to think I'm really, really stupid And so to have some other Christian voices in their life who can help them during this time is so valuable. And so uh, are there any godparents here today for these children that are up here? Could we stand and thank you for the role you are playing and will play? God bless you. Get ready. The call's coming. All right. So uh, these children will receive a candle today which represents this day. Parents, you could light this every year on this day to remember their baptism. Certainly, this uh, reappears when they go through confirmation as a, as a moment to say, hey, that promise that was made over you when you were asleep in your little white dress, it's come true. You are, you are claiming Christ as yours. So that will happen. Anything I've forgotten? Okay. Then let us have the vows. These folks all went through a class to... Pre- <laughs> Let us introduce the families. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have a mic? Yes. Okay. They're going to introduce themselves. Here they go. Uh, my name is Trevor Smith. Oh, wait. It's not on. Give a moment. I'm talking to myself. Hey. My name is Trevor Smith. This is my wife, Alicia. This is Autumn and Allison. Oh, we haven't got godparents yet. We haven't decided that. Thanks for putting me on the spot. This is uh, Vince and Becky Hall and our daughter, Madeline Grace, and the godparents will be Caleb and Jocelyn Hall. 
I'm Jenny Johnson. This is my husband, Zach, and this is Asher, and we are baptizing Beckett, and we have our godparents, Abby and Britt Bastian. Thank you. My name is Sam. This is Julie. Down here is Sawyer, and we're baptizing Griffin today. Our godparents are Jason and Twyla Leahy. Good morning. I'm Katie Schultz. This is my husband, Brandon. This is Carolyn and Julia and Gwyneth, and today we're bringing Will to be baptized. Amen. Amen. I'm going to wait for Sarah to get back here before I launch into the next piece. (laughs) Vows now? Yes, let's do it. Okay. They have gone to a class, and we talked about these vows uh, for them as parents who stand in their child's stead for a time. You realize you're beginning a stage of faith in which these kids get faith by watching you. It's called you do and I watch from their standpoint. So, uh, or I do and you watch from your standpoint. So when you pray, they see you pray. When you worship, they see you worship. When you serve, they see you serve. And uh, just like everything else they're learning to do in life, walking, eating, talking, they're learning it from you. Faith is we passed the same way for several years now. So these vows are very important. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for your child? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your child as you do your own? Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God? Do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit to live an exemplary life before your child? Do you commit yourself to pray with and for your child, to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? And the church is here to help you do that. Do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of the church, to bring your child up in the loving discipline of the Lord? All right. There are also vows for all of you in the congregation to come alongside these parents and these children to provide a community of faith for them to grow up in. And here are your vows. Do you, the members of this congregation, acting for yourselves and in behalf of the whole body of Christ, assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of these children? And do you commit yourself to set a godly example before these children as, uh, to provide as far as you are able all that is necessary to the end that these children may one day confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? All right. I believe I gave them different ones for the screen, so that was exciting. <laughs> All right. Um, then let us begin. Autumn Grace, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's see if she'll stay asleep. <laughs> Madeline Grace, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beckett Zachary, child of the covenant. You're not too sure about this? I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Griffin David, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
William Russell, child of the covenant, surrounded by girls. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right, you got back up now. <laughs> All right, let's welcome these. Lent, uh, we've had time of confession this morning. The season of Lent is a time for uh, reflection and self-examining. We decided this year we also wanted to use Lent as a time to examine ourselves as a congregation. Uh, Who are we as a people of God? So this morning I want to talk about, just a moment, uh, about generosity. That quickly came to the forefront as something that makes Lakeland uniquely Lakeland. Financial consultants consistently tell us Lakeland is one of the most giving churches they've interacted with. In fact, they just had a call with our financial consultant on Thursday, and he said the same thing. In 2015, Lakeland gave um, somewhere between, well, almost double what normal folks of a congregation of this type give. When they project our potential to raise funds for ministry, now the consultant says to us, well, you're a suburban church. You're a biblically conservative church. You have about 600 people, so you should be able to raise this much money plus the Lakeland factor, which brings it to this amount. So now there's a Lakeland factor that the consultant uses to adjust uh, your giving potential. It's not because we have an unusual number of wealthy people. We don't. We have no more or less than we should. It's because everyone participates and everyone participates sacrificially. I could have picked a hundred different people to honor today without thinking about it very hard, and that's completely true. But today, we want to honor specifically Trevor Smith. So, Trevor, you didn't know, but come on up. (laughs) Trevor has lived a life of sacrifice. I still remember a 13-year-old boy coming to the church office and cleaning the closets in the office space. He won huge points with our administrative assistant, Liz, for that one. I still wish he hadn't flirted with her. That was so creepy. (laughs) In the 17 years since this, His habit of sacrifice and generosity has never ended. When Trevor bought a house, he intentionally picked one close to this place to be more available for serving. At night, Trevor drives over to lock up the building, sometimes quite late at night. At his wedding, one of his wedding party members gave this toast, quote, every person in this room could learn something about generosity by looking at Trevor and Alicia, unquote. Trevor has provided all of our information technology at the church for years. And by information technology, I mean taking initiative to tear out our outdated system and replace it with something that can bear the weight of all your cell phones and our digital check-in, plus the needs of worship. I don't know where all that equipment is coming from. I rarely see a purchase request. If you email him at 7 a.m. on a Wednesday saying, I can't log into the network, He appears within an hour or two with a baby strapped to his chest and fixes it. Half the time he tells me, this computer is junk. I'll be back. He returns with a new one. Where was that stored? 
Is his house full of computers and laptops? I shudder to ask. Every time someone from the church invites me over for dinner, they finally get around to gesturing to the corner and saying, yeah, Trevor fixed my computer. Or Trevor couldn't fix my computer, which is the same as saying it was hopeless. He mows lawns in the inner city. I think he mows the lawns around this building too. He comes in late at night, helps Matt install lights and security cameras and fixes things. He does this professionally for million-dollar companies in Kansas City, but for the church, it's all absolutely free. Last year, he revamped our entire field rental system. Revenue on the soccer field almost doubled. For that, the elders gave him a cash gift. The gift was nowhere near what his skills had been worth, nowhere near the revenue the church had enjoyed, but he saved the 2015 budget, so we had to say thank you. He took the check and said, oh good, now I can catch up on my fearless pledge to the church. I sincerely hope his wife talked him out of that. I've covered half of it, but you get the point. This this congregation of generosity, I'm sorry, this is a congregation of generosity and service, and Trevor and Alicia are lead ambassadors in this congregation on that feature. I might also mention They saved some money this year by accidentally delivering their own baby at home. (laughs) To Trevor and to all like him that I could have mentioned today, I will say again what you obviously already know. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Trevor, we want to give you... Uh, Amazon gift card with the stipulation that you not buy church equipment with it. (laughs) And we want to give you the coveted Hockey Puck Award. The Hockey Puck Award is for those who let themselves be slapped around by the church (laughs) and bear it well. Thank you. now for something completely different. I want to tell you a story about how did we get here. We just had dinner at our house with some church folks, nice church folks, nice dinner. Uh, However, as soon as they left, my wife and I jumped right back into the fight we had been having up until the first guest arrived. What was this fight that was so important we had to get right back into it after a two-hour hiatus? Something of earth-shaking importance. Who would change the cat's litter box? When we got a cat, agreements had been made, oaths sworn, understandings reached. And yet somehow on a Sunday night, here the litter box sat unchanged. This called for immediate discussion. In the uh, ensuing debate, voices were raised. A plastic cup was hurled at the floor and shattered. Unfortunately, the windows were open that night. So the neighbors, hearing the shouting 
and the shattering of the plastic cup, and concerned for safety, did us the courtesy of summoning the police to our house. As I sat in the living room with the police, carefully picking over the shards of the plastic cup, picking over, uh, sorting through the events of the evening, helping us to sort out who should change the cat's litter box. <laughs> Their duty is to protect and serve and sort these sort of things out, you know. I thought, how did we get here? How did we become those people? Are we those people now? Who fight so loud that the neighbors get called, the police get called? How did this path unfold before us? I know for a couple of years, my wife had been asking us to go to marriage counseling. And I said, we don't need that. We're not that far gone. We're not those people. But now with the, the police picking through the recycling bin, verifying, yes, there's a plastic cup here. It really seemed like we were those people. I wonder what the next step was going to be. I have another story of how did we get here. Um, my wife suggested a couple summers ago, we should go camping. Our family loves camping. Somehow we manage not to go as often as we should for how much we love it. And she said, why don't we invite this other couple to go camping? And I'm standing in the driveway and I said, ah, oh, this other couple, they go camping all the time. So all we're going to do is spend all weekend listening to how we're doing it wrong. You know, you picked the wrong weekend. This is a terrible weekend. And you don't set your tent up right. And you don't know how to cook hot dogs over a fire. Here, let me show you how to start a fire. I don't have the patience for it. We hadn't hung out with anybody for months. Now, how did we get here? We always said we're not going to become those grumpy, picky suburbanite people who, you know, are so snooty they can't hang out with anybody because they're just too good for everybody. We're not going to be like that. Yet here we were. Hadn't hung out with anybody for months. I wonder what the next step on that journey is going to be. Do you ever ask, how did we get here? You always said after you got out of debt, after you got out of debt, we'll be generous, we will tithe, we will give to charity, we will do all that good stuff. Well, chief, it's been like 10 years since you said that. You're even making more money than you did back then. And yet you're still in debt and you're still not generous. What is the next step going to be? You always said that when your schedule calmed down, when you weren't so busy, then you'd get into a small group or a Bible study, do something to grow in faith and fellowship. You've been roaring along with the same schedule now for years. What's the next step? After you got married, you thought you'd finally kick that pornography thing. And then you thought, well, maybe having kids in the house will make me more decent. You thought a lot of different things, but the simple fact is you're addicted. You say you're not, but there's evidence every few months, weeks, days on your computer that says otherwise. What is the next step? I want to tell you this morning that when you come to this place in your spiritual journey where you start out saying, I'm not, I don't want to be that kind of person, and then you find yourself saying, oh, well, I'm not that kind of person. Even though you have evidence that you are, you're at a fork in the road. There are now two paths you can take from that point. Today, I want to show you both of these paths. The first path is dark. I want to tell you that the next step on the journey, 
there is a next step you can take, which is actually even worse than where you are right now. As I describe it, you're going to find that you know many people who have taken it. So listen closely. The first step is to saying, I know I shouldn't sin, or I know I shouldn't be isolated, or I know I shouldn't be greedy, and you're right, you shouldn't. And the second step is saying, I'm not that kind of person, even though you're accumulating rapidly a lot of evidence that you are. You'll know that you're getting to that place in the journey when you start saying things like, well, it's not that bad. I'm not as far gone as so-and-so. It's different for me. I'm not like that. You know you're heading toward that path when you say, I may look like every other addict. I may look like a Sunday morning seat warmer. I may look broke and buried in debt. I may look lonely and grumpy. It may look like I'm screaming at my wife and kids, but I'm not that kind of person. So I don't need counseling. I don't need a debt class. I don't need the 12 steps. Well, after you've gone that far on the journey, the third step on the dark path is when you begin to pretend you're not that bad, even though now you know you are. You'll know you're on that path when you start to say things like this to yourself. This is nobody's business but mine. I'm not going to involve the church in that. And you'll know you're on that dark path when your justification begins to sound like this. I'm not going to involve the church in that because truthfully, there's no one at that church as spiritual as I am. There's no one there as sold out to Jesus as I am. So they wouldn't understand this anyway. They couldn't help me. Everyone at that church is fake. I don't trust them and they never really cared about me anyway. In fact, I'm really quite surprised I go there. That church is all clicky anyway. They're all in their little cliques and they're generally just a lot of bad people. And that's why you're not going to tell anyone at the church about this. You'll know you're on the dark path when you make your wife and children swear that no one is to know about the fights that have been going on. You'll know when you get nervous that your spouse wants to be in a small group because what if someone tricks them into telling the family secret? When you stop inviting people over so that they won't see the holes in the wall or they won't hear a message come through on the message machine about uh, the collections agency. You know you're on the dark path when you might even show up at church and help teach a class about debt or you're preaching to one of your friends about the power of small groups and Bible studies, giving people the impression that you are financially stable and generous and involved in church even though you're not. You'll know you're on the dark path when you become hyper-religious. You'll pick some sort of topic about which you will become hyper-religious. Doesn't hardly matter what it is. Might be creation. Might be abortion. Might be feeding the poor. Pick a topic. It's especially helpful if it's something you can pop off on social media about regularly with all capitalized posts. So that everyone can see how sold out for Jesus you are, how conservative you are, how serious about this you are, and so that they cannot see the sexual deviance going on in your life and the alcoholism and the violence. And now you are, in Jesus' words, a liar and a hypocrite. The only thing left on this journey is for the truth to come out. And it will come out. God himself will make it come out if that's what it takes to save you from this dark path. And when that happens, you will be utterly humiliated. And the church and your family will be deeply wounded.
But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that's not the only path. There is another path. There is a path at this fork in the road that leads to light and life. After you've said, I know I shouldn't sin, I shouldn't be isolated, I shouldn't be whatever it is you are. And after you've said, I'm not that kind of person, even though there's a growing body of evidence that you are. There is another step you can take that instead of pretending that you're not, you can confess your sin and take a bold step toward healing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Confess your sin and take a bold step toward healing. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great, powerful, great power and produces wonderful results. Confess your sin and take a bold step toward healing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Other translations say so that you can escape. This is it. This morning, you're going to see the way out. You're going to see this other path. And it begins with confessing and taking a bold step toward healing. God wants you to take this path and he wants you to be free. Confess to your spouse, I am very bad at this thing called marriage, it would appear. So I will go to counseling with you. Take a bold step toward healing. Don't wait two years like I did. Confess to your family, we have become lonely, grumpy people. Let's invite someone over to dinner and play some board games and not judge them the whole night. Let's accept someone else's invitation to go and have fun. Take a bold step toward healing. Confess. It appears I'm not very good with money. It's not that I don't make enough because no matter how much I make, the debt stays the same. I need to learn a new attitude about money. I'm going to take the church's financial class this fall and take a bold step toward healing. Confess to yourself the most painful confession of the suburbs. I have let my schedule fill up with less important things. I'm completely busy doing, doing no good thing. And the bold step is very painful. But I'm just going to quit that stuff. I'm going to quit. I'll leave one thing in there because fun and enjoyment is part of the plan of God. I'll keep one thing in the schedule. And with all that time I freed up, I'm going to do the small group or the Bible study, the thing I said I was always going to do to grow in faith and fellowship and take a bold step toward healing. Confess. I'm addicted I can't stop or I already would have. 
And I've been on the internet and I've heard the stories of other people who kick this addiction and I'm tired of listening to them say the same thing. They keep saying you can't do this by yourself. You'll have to let others into your journey. I don't think I can. I certainly don't want to. But no one ever kicked an addiction alone and you're not special. No one ever kicked an addiction alone and you're not special. No one ever kicked an addiction alone. And you're not a special case. No temptation has come to you that is different than what others experience. And so come this Saturday night up to the youth room at 5.30 to Mercy Street. And we will confess our sins together. I won't be there this Saturday, but I'll be there lots of Saturdays. That's right, I'm there. Because I'm no different than anyone else. I'm not special. Take a bold step toward healing. Stop saying, I'm different and the rules don't apply to me. Confess, when it comes to sin, I'm just like everybody else. Stop saying, I'm not that kind of person. And confess, I am that kind of person. Stop saying, I don't need to take a step. And confess, I need a bold step. I need it yesterday. Stop saying this is private and it's nobody's business and confess, church community is good for me. Church community is so good for me. And now you really are a spiritual person. Some of you thought a spiritual person was someone who walked upright and didn't fall. I'm afraid you were misinformed. Spiritual people fall, break a hip, and ask Jesus to help them up. And for the rest of their life, they walk with one hand on God's shoulder, leaning on him and walking with a limp. Confess your sin. Take a bold step toward healing, and you can walk in upright righteousness with your limp too. You know what grows in the dark? Mold. You know what kills mold? Constant exposure to the sunlight. You know what grows under the skin, scarred over? An abscess. A little pocket of grotesque infection. You know what kills an abscess? Draining it. And then for a time, leaving it open to the fresh air. Fresh air kills that infection. You know what grows in secret? Sin, but confession kills it, and a bold step toward healing cleans it. And then forever after, we remember who we really are and how good God really is to us. And we develop, okay, now this is a part of the, I wrote the whole sermon for these last two pages. So if you're asleep, wake back up, because this is the part that the whole, everything else was leading up to. This is where we develop a healthy mistrust of self. I'm sorry it sounds so clinical. I tried to find something snazzier and it just wasn't as accurate. A healthy mistrust of self. Now, let me tell you in a, a light story of what the healthy mistrust of self is. So I called my phone internet company 
couple months ago because my phone internet bill had been creeping up and up and up, and I wanted it back where it used to be. So she said, well, sir, I noticed you don't have cable television. So if you're willing to package cable with your phone and internet, I have a ready-made package I can just authorize you for right this minute. I said, yeah, I don't want cable. She said, well, sir, it's, it's part of a package. It would be a reduced, reduced rate. I said, uh, well, not cheaper than what I'm paying for just the two. Well, no, but you'll be getting cable. I, I, yeah, I said I don't want cable. She said, well, sir, can you tell me why you didn't want cable? I said, well, because I'll watch it all the time. She said, I understand, sir, we don't want our families spending all their time watching television. I said, no, you misunderstood me. I said, if I have cable, I'll watch it all the time. She didn't know really not to do with that. She ended up saying, well, have you considered buying cable and then not watching it? I I don't really see what the point of that would be, but thank you. I wish I was the type of person who could have 200 channels, but only turn it on when the program I want to watch comes on and then turn it off. But I know that I'm not. I have been to other people's houses who have cable. And I sneak over and I get their inner thing and I start clicking through. And before I know it, I've spent three hours watching these guys hunt alligators in Louisiana. They have a channel that shows just that from like five to midnight. I know they're going to shoot them right there every time. I keep watching. Healthy mistrust of self says, look, you're a cheapskate before everything. So if you just don't buy cable, then you won't waste all night watching swamp people. Healthy mistrust of self tells me I am that kind of person. So don't go there. All right? Now, don't take this teaching I'm giving you and become one of those uh, you know, Christian weirdos who you know, won't listen to the radio because you might hear a bad word. And if you heard a bad word, you might say a bad word. Don't become one of those people who doesn't hang out with people who don't go to church or doesn't hang out with people who drink a beer because you're afraid some demon's going to jump off them and land on you. Okay? That's not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to say the healthy mistrust of self says, you know what? I am just like everyone else. I'm easily tempted by, for instance, money and possessions. And if I'm not careful, I will seek my security from money instead of from God. Therefore, because I know myself so well, I take part in the discipline of tithing. I give the first 10% of all I acquire to God because it reminds me who really provides. It makes me depend on God. And as a bonus, it makes a really great church for me and my family and friends to go to. I do it because without it, I become something I don't want to be. A healthy mistrust of self says, you know what? I'm not a marriage expert. I do grow with training. I could love my spouse better. Therefore, I'm going to make time every spring for the marriage equipping classes that they have. We have three of them in the spring. We have three total, one each spring. After three years, you've seen them all. And every year on our anniversary, I'll sit down with my spouse at an anniversary dinner and I'll say, what was your favorite thing about our marriage this last year? And then I'll ask, what's one thing about our marriage over this last year that we could change? And then I will listen to that answer because it's going to be something that I did. (laughs) when I fake it and act like I am a marriage expert that's how I end up with the police in the house helping to sort out who's going to change the litter box but when I accept my limp and walk with God then I can walk upright a healthy mistrust of self says community and other people are good for me 
So we need to keep hanging out with our friends. They don't do everything the way we do. They don't raise their kids the way we do. They're really different from us, but we learn things from each other. I know this, I know this. When I get isolated, I start thinking and acting weird. Other people help me see my weirdness. Healthy mistrust of self says, I need church. I need it because I lose my way without it. I wish I was one of those people who could just pop in once a month or once or twice a year and stay on the path, but I'm not. There was an old hymn that said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's more who I am. So I'm not a fanatic. If we're on vacation and it overlaps a Sunday, that's fine. But if there's something coming into our activity schedule that says we're going to have to miss church every Sunday for several months, that's not coming into our house. Because a couple of months away is enough for me to wander off. I am that kind of person. The healthy mistrust of self encourages us that after we take a bold step toward healing, we need to establish patterns, disciplines, and new habits that help us stay on this path. Because otherwise, we'll take a bold step toward healing, we'll have a big flash of confession and change, and then wander right back and wonder how we got here. The season of Lent that we're in, these 40 days leading up to Easter is a time to think about new patterns and habits. So our pastor Dan is recommending us all this year, try for 40 days leading up to Easter to stop, start, give, receive. Stop. Uh, This year we're recommending take one news media source that you're really plugged into, that you read or look at or watch every day, and for 40 days leading up to Easter, stop. And confess, I am that kind of person who when I watch all this election coverage, especially on a mutant circus year like we're having, it just makes me paranoid and angry. I turn into that guy. Like I'm on my own walking talk radio show. So just stop letting that voice of negativity and fear come in just 40 days leading up to Easter. And start taking in the word of God. We're recommending this year, just read one chapter a day from the Gospel of Luke. With that time you used to be all plugged into the media circus, use that time to read one chapter from the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke only has 24 chapters, so to get to 40 days, you'll either just start it over again or pick a different book of the Bible. Stop, start, give. During these 40 days, make it intentional one time each day to do something random and kind for someone. Could be someone in your own house, could be a stranger paying for the person behind you at the drive-thru, something. Because we'd all like to believe I'm that type of person who does nice stuff all the time, but the truth is, I'm the type of person who can go through a whole day and not do something kind for someone else. So with this intentional focus on Lent, each day I'll be looking for some college student, a hand to 22. You're in college, you're constantly broke here. (laughs) Something, something kind for someone you encounter. Start Stop, give, and receive gratitude. We're recommending this Lent, get post-it notes, and each night at dinner, everyone in the family, write down one thing you're grateful for and stick it on the wall. After 40 days, your kitchen will be a wall of all the blessings that you have counted and probably would have let go by unnoticed. Because as we've learned earlier this year, uh, 
Gratitude is the root of joy. So when you come to that fork in the road where you say, I'm not that kind of person, take the path where you confess, I am that kind of person. Take a bold step toward healing and then establish new patterns and disciplines to help us stay on that path. Most of what the church does is just what we've been describing. Help us take that journey and that path. Amen. I have just one announcement before we go. But why don't we pray first? Father, help us to soak this in. To see ourselves as you see us. Not just the mistakes we've made, but the love you have for us. Coupled with the mistakes we've made. Help us to take that bold step. To know what it is right now in this moment. What is it we need to do? Who do we need to say something to today? When we pray in the weeks and months to come, your Holy Spirit will show us new patterns and habits.